the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to do so with the returning Hugh Hallman, who um, has been in Kazakhstan for the past uh, little bit of time. and we're Forever. Del- yeah, forever. Delighted to have him back. He is an attorney in town. He is the former two-term mayor of Tempe. He is a uh, civic and charitable consultant and the best friend any guy or community can have. Welcome back, Hugh. It is a delight to be back. I'm sorry I'm feeling a little tired. A little I just, jet lagged. It's a little jet laggy, yeah. Well, you know, is. something you and my producer did before we get to the tough stuff here, I got to say, um, it, it, was, it, was, it was odd. It was, it was kismet, I suppose, or something. But within 48 hours, both you and my producer, young David over there, uh, asked me, have I ever seen the dance scene in Picnic? with Kim Novak and William Holton. And I'd never even heard of the movie Picnic, so I had not seen the dance scene. Obviously, the both of you had and been holding it out on me for the last 50 years. And I watched it. Hoagie Carmichael. Do you know who Hoagie Carmichael was? Great songwriter. He wrote Stardust and Georgia on My Mind. And I think he said, listening to four notes of Big Spider Beck can change your life. And I'll tell you something. Watching that dance scene in Picnic can change your life. Anyway, I don't know why you both thought to tell me about it, but you both did. And if you have anything more to say about it, now's your chance. I just am puzzled that uh, how young David uh, could have been holding out the concept of picnic from you yeah. for 50 years since even <laughs> I at age 61 only was holding out on you for 45. Yeah, something like that. Uh, having last seen it when I was in high school. Was that the last time you saw it? But yeah. it stuck with you all those years. Yes. Testifying I, to the point. Exactly right. And that's uh, so anybody who has not seen that movie, uh, you can Google and even just get the dance scene from Picnic with Kim Novak and William Holden. And you might look at it and say, oh, you know, it's fine. It is just a beautifully done piece of art. It is art. And in some ways, you have to watch the whole movie yeah, to realize yeah. why it's such a beautiful scene. Yeah. Do you want to weigh in on this, young David, or are we done? Have it's got to be like the best six minutes of the film. I don't. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah well, it is. Probably, it is the best yeah. six minutes of the film. But it's an interesting film, kind of movie. Movie, uh. movie. We don't say film. <laughs> movie. I, I just remembered just a few days ago having another caller call in and complaining about the fact that you'd lectured both young David and the caller yeah. and previously had lectured the caller on the difference between film and movie. Yeah. So I don't know if we want to get into that fight again. We don't go to film theaters. We go to movie theaters. We're not French. We go to the cinema. Are we, <laughs> let, let's now talk about hors d'oeuvres or appetizers. Yeah. Oh, you've been keeping up, haven't you? I try to follow the show very closely. And in fact, I like the idea that hors d'oeuvre is food outside of work, right. not associated with work, as opposed to, I think, David, you must give him the credit that an appetizer is something that uh, enhances your appetite before dinner so you can have a full meal. And if you're not going to offer people a full meal, you shouldn't offer them appetizers. It's just a tease, and we'll leave it at that. Exactly right. We're back to Kim Novak. We're back. <laughs> tease. Always trying to bring it Always full circle, my friend. All right, all right, stop. Yeah. Let's get it back to rated G. 
Mr. Hallman, what's on your mind? All of that that is rated G. Fair enough. Kim Novak was rated G in that film. Uh, But you did a brilliant monologue. Uh, and I hesitate to say that because, you know, if, if this show doesn't air at the appropriate time, then nobody will understand the monologue to which I'm referring. But in the first hour, you talk about uh, the the whole notion that there is a societal breakdown, yeah. effectively, is what you're talking about. Yeah. That the challenges we're all facing on a daily basis are getting to be so wearing yeah. that uh, many of us are giving up or feeling like we're giving up. And I think there's a wave of depression and difficulty and challenge and a daily basis of, you know, why am I even bothering anymore? Why even bother washing the windows when if I'm going to look out them, all I'm going to see is degradation and, and disaster of my community. Uh, just driving through the city of Phoenix last night from Tempe, um, to downtown, seeing how homeless camps have now sprung up under every one of our uh, overpasses for the freeways, and that this decline of our society continues. Certainly, the courts over the last 40 or 50 years have made it much more difficult for society generally to impose restrictions on behavior. Uh, has that helped us? I don't think so. Uh, why? Because uh, to believe that we are being humanitarian towards people to allow them to survive in the way they choose to survive out on the streets, which is not really surviving, but is instead enabling behavior to allow people to decline into the absolute worst conditions uh, they possibly can. That's not that that's not being humanitarian in any way, shape or form. It is cruel and it is crazy that we're allowing to do this. And other countries, and I'll bring this to your introduction that I'm coming back from Kazakhstan, I had a number of conversations on this trip mm-hmm. uh, by folks just coming out of the blue with these. Is that really the case that this is going on in these United States? And having to explain, well, yes, that really is. What you are seeing is really going on right now with incredulous res- response generally because these are people who admire what the United States has been they are seeking to achieve that and to understand that Americans are allowing this shining city on a hill to decay is beyond belief for most people. And you, you often talk about the direction of the gates uh, with the fence question, which, which way are people climbing over fences to leave or, or get in? And uh, people around the world continue to try to get to these United States into this shining city on a hill. And even in its current condition, the, the, the quality of life here is still better than most people enjoy in most of the rest of the world. But it is they are facing death and starvation and other horrors And we are belittling one another and ourselves over some of the most bizarre things one can imagine. You, uh, several times a year, not recently, I must admit, uh, talk about the fact that somebody coming from some African nation to see the racism in which we engage would be stunned to think what we're engaging in we dare to call racism, given that the Hootsies and the Tutus can kill one another over those kinds of differences. Uh, and and uh, that's the sort of thing we're doing. They think it's the name of a football. I mean, we think it's the name of a football team. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and uh, I think uh, you pointed me out, uh, pointed me to a Larry Elder debate in oh, which yeah. he was on the. 
Breakfast Club right. uh, with uh, three African Americans. That's what they would call themselves. Sure. He referred to them as blacks. Uh, why? Because not everybody who is black skinned is an African American. Uh, I have many a number of friends uh, who uh, hail from other countries and they get called African American and they say, "Excuse me, yeah. uh, that's not where I'm from." Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's you know Brit- perfect British accents. Uh, and so the the point is. He defended what the United States is about with an onslaught of of terrible kinds of comments from the hosts of this show, did so admirably. And the great point he was making is that why does the left continue to believe that we have some kind of systemic racism here when the progress we have made uh, since when we had real direct racism uh, has been so amazing and rather than uh, focus now on what is what are the true causes of the differences uh, uh, among people, uh, that we're using these crazy terms and these efforts to create uh, division based on uh, falsehoods, and I think that's part of it. So your your monologue to bring it full circle, uh, in the same way that we were talking about Kim Novak. Your monologue makes makes the point that we're seeing this degraded society and it is causing so many of us to give up mm-hmm. and that together, perhaps we need to start thinking about what we're doing well, celebrate those things, stop letting the press continue to beat us with this uh, crisis uh, uh mentality that we have considerably uh, perfected and make us miserable because there are many, many things that we still can celebrate that we're doing well. And the reason I know this so recently is because I returned from Kazakhstan after a a 13-day trip, exhausted because I was working continuously there and then having to work uh, in the middle of the night for problems here. And something new happened when I returned to these shores. Oh, when yes. I came in great, through an airport, hold the thought. Because, I'm going to. Yeah, this and is a big, that, big one. Right. That what I experienced reminded me about the greatness of this society, and I want to tell you that little bit of a story yeah. when we come back because it truly changed my perspective, and I have to remember this experience on a daily basis. To get vertical, get out of bed and get going because we have a lot to celebrate and a lot to enjoy in this country and we've got to overcome the crisis complex. No, this is a great story. I'm glad you uh, thought of it. I forgot about it. I'm glad you're going to remind me of it because we all need to be reminded of it. Hugh Hallman and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman is in studio with me as my guest, uh, as he is uh, when he's in town on most Tuesdays. We love closing out the hour and having... uh, Having Hugh with us, just returned from um, overseas, just returned from Europe, and had an interesting experience that Central has a lot to Asia. it. It's really Central Asia. I don't know why I keep doing that. That's all right. Know, but I don't know why I keep doing that. I guess it's my privilege. It is your privilege. This is it's your my show. White privilege. You can call it anything. My you radio want privilege. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I think right. it's your Hawaiian shirt privilege. That's the I problem. I'll check your privilege. I am wearing a Hawaiian shirt. You come back from East. Central Asia. Ethiopia? No, Ethiopia. I Ethiopia. You yeah. come back from Central Asia, and you had an experience like you haven't had. Talk, so, talk to us about it. So for the last 30 years that I've been doing this, 
the return to the United States has taken the, the feel of sort of a typical pattern. You land uh, in your first airport in the U.S., because if I'm coming back to Phoenix, my first airport is not my last airport. It is the, the airport where I have to pick up my bags and put them back on a conveyor and have them put back into another airplane. Uh, that's the, the uh, sort of process. But before you get there, you've got to enter the United States. I've just landed in, from a, a, another country. Uh, that uh, does not benefit from everything we do know. And truly, across Europe, it's the same. There, there, we have and enjoy freedoms and uh, uh, opportunity here that is n- truly not equaled anywhere else on the planet. And I arrive and uh, go through the queue. I am not a global entry person, and so I, I, I kind of appreciate the process and enjoy that uh, sort of mingling and watching people sorting out through the sorting hat of uh, the passport control. And you come to the, come to the uh, various lines and get in the right one and somebody's directing traffic and sort of grousing and, you know, go this way, go that way. And eventually get to the uh, person from immigration who's in the little glass case and you hand them your passport and they scan it and look at it and then say anything, you know, anything to declare. Uh, what were you doing there? And it's always felt a little bit like somebody trying to figure out how much cocaine I'm smuggling into the country. Like and, it's Checkpoint Charlie. It is almost. Checkpoint. Yeah. It is always Checkpoint Charlie that there's great suspicion and, you know, and they're looking through my passport and seeing all the various stamps and trying to figure out w- what it is that I've been doing illegally uh, out of the country and, and or trying to carry into the country. And then you pass on to pick up your baggage, do that sort of stuff. And something was different this time. And it was amazing to me. I approach the turnstiles and are the, the chains and the various aisle ways to go through and came to the very first U.S. personnel standing there. And he said, citizen. And I said, yes. And he said, that line over there, welcome home. And I, I was almost struck breathless. Welcome home. I hadn't heard that ever. And it reminded me of a story I'll tell you. But so... I, I was stunned, and I went as the fellow directed and got into the line and only had a few people in front of me and got to the passport control person in the little booth and handed my passport, and it was scanned, and I had to look in the camera and, and get my photograph taken to make sure we do that in the modern way. And he said, anything to declare? And I said, nothing. And he said, welcome home. And what I noticed was this was going on across all of these booths I'd arrived in San Francisco, never happened before, and the interesting thing I noted was not just that I was sort of filled with some sense of pride that I was back in these United States and that I had uh, uh, been welcomed back as a citizen, but how much happier every single one of those passport control people were, that they were feeling like they were communing with citizens and greeting them. Now, should we do a good job to make sure illegal activity is not occurring? Absolutely. But it's not the 99% of us who are not breaking the law who should all be treated like criminals. And it was an amazing transformation of the experience, but the sense of well-being and what it means to be here and be part of this country. And I saw looked uh, 25 passport people up and down all, 
and I just saw this is the very first time I'd seen smiling faces and people acting like they were enjoying what they were doing. And the response of the people coming through those lines was the same. It was changing the entire environment. And it reminds me, that's what we ought to preserve here, that we have to remember that the screwed up border messes we have doesn't make every single one of us a criminal. And that instead, all of us who are trying to hang on to what's great about this country should remind one another of that. Because welcome home made all the difference in my attitude and everyone else around me. And that's what I think I want to hang on to. And that we as Americans have so much that we are blessed by and that we are allowing, as your monologue points out, this corrosive activity by, frankly, the hard left to push us into misery and to have a crisis at every moment and that keep it keeps us stirred up. Well, the story I want to say is when I was a boy, um, I was 13 years old and my longtime friend had returned from the Soviet Union. His father, the Russian professor who brought me into the former Soviet Union for the work I'm now doing had been there for a year with his family. He had taken a year to teach in Moscow. And he told me the story when they came back, that they had been gone a year, went through passport control. The officer looked at all of their passports, talked to them about what they'd been doing, and then concluded by saying, welcome home. And that was powerful to him then. This is now, I'm 61 years old. I remember that story being conveyed to me. And the moment that occurred in this line and then at that passport control desk, I recalled that story and how meaningful and important it is to us. Let's not give that up as the um, crisis industrial complex continues to roil and churn and try to make us miserable on a daily basis. Now, do I want to get to some topics that we should be concerned about? Absolutely. But in that context, I have to remember, I'm enjoying freedoms on a daily basis and demonstrating that by getting to share the time with you on this show and talk about whatever I'd like to talk about when that's not possible anywhere else on this planet. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, last time you were in Kazakhstan, we had a little bit of a problem when you called into this show. They disabled your phone. Well, in, comments it, you made. in fact, it was uh, I spent an not hour on this show uh, 19 miles south of the Russian border. Yeah. And immediately after we finished the show, yeah. my phone stopped working yeah. and did not go back into working yeah. order until after I left Kazakhstan. It wasn't the Kazakhs. It was the Russians. Yeah, it wasn't the CIA. It wasn't the Kazakhs. Hugh Hallman is my guest. I want to say something about home and then I want to get to some of these other topics that uh, you came in here loaded for bear with, as you always do, Hugh Holman, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth and delighted to have uh, in studio with me Hugh Holman, our regular Tuesday afternoon guest, former mayor of Tempe, educator, builder of ed- education institution, institution, civic and charitable uh, consultant. Um, this is an interesting little story. Uh, Ronald Reagan in his farewell address spoke about small things that say big things. And uh, the idea that you had uh, 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 borders, uh, who was it? Is it it Customs? Border Patrol. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Border Patrol and Customs checking you out, coming in, saying welcome home for the first time that you've noticed in probably at least a generation. There's a lot to those two words, welcome home. 
Uh, first of all, it helps reattach us to this country, which I think there's been a great detachment from for a lot of people. I feel a lot of detachment from it. There's a lot to it. I'm guessing, too, that a lot of these people, and there are no doubt some in the audience, and I mean no disrespect to them who are involved in TSA-type work or border and customs work, you know, the default position is uh, – the default position is not positive necessarily. It, it, it might even be a little bit sometimes too, too um, accusatory. And it creates a general mood and a general sense of the room of the effort of the moment. And, I, and, and it, it probably slows things down quite a bit. People might think of it as the DMV syndrome, you know, a, a government employee not happy to be there and you not happy to be there. And both unhappinesses collide to make something mathematically even worse <laughs> than both of your individual attitudes. I'm guessing it moved smoother as well, more smoothly as well because of the general attitude. Attitude is all in many cases. But the notion of welcome home, reinstantiating this idea that you are actually a citizen of a place you can call home, and they're proud to have you, they're happy to have you, and you're proud and happy to come back. One of the most awful things I heard in the last five years was um, when Dennis Prager was telling his audience for all his international travels, he travels internationally an awful lot, uh, that the last uh, time he came back from abroad was from Hungary, and it was the first time he felt in a long time he was leaving a um, more free country for a less free country. It was one of the saddest things I had ever heard uh, anyone say, that there is um, a resentment about the lack of freedom that we now have taken and implanted and um, gotten used to here, become inured to, numb to uh, here in this country. But this notion of welcome home, Reagan's favorite word was citizen. And the idea that you are reminded that this is your home, it reminds me of something that once you know, that Jack Kemp used to talk about, once you, once you think of this place as your home, you have an investment in it to take care of it. Um, he liked to say, in speaking about what would later become known as the idea or concept of the ownership society, importance of owning a piece of something in this country, whether it's your home or whether it's a business. Not many people take rental cars to car washes. But once you have the sense that this is your place and you have a stake in it, you have more of an obligation, an almost inherent, undescribable obligation to take better care of it. But not just it, your fellow human beings that are part of it. What is America to me? Frank Sinatra asked. And at the end of that long song, which is called The House I Live In, interestingly enough, it's not What is America to Me. That's the chorus. Everyone calls it What is America to Me. It's actually The House I Live In, house being America. The last lines of that song are, most of all, it's the people. It's the people. And we've lost something here about that, haven't we? I think COVID did a big number on it. I think the way we handled each other with regard to COVID did a big number on that. So anything we can do, these small steps that restore the manners, you know, I'm big, big on manners. I, um, I, I'm not, I've not memorized this yet. I plan to, but I keep it up as an open tab on my computer, what Edmund Burke said about manners. Manners are more important than laws. Upon them, in a great measure, the laws depend. The laws touch us here and there and now and then. But manners are what vex or soothe, corrupt or purify, exalt or debase, barbarize 
or refine us by a constant, steady, uniform, insensible operation, like that of the air we breathe in. They give their whole form and color to our lives according to their quality. They aid morals, they supply them, or they totally destroy them. That is to say, without citizens feeling connected to their fellow citizens, we can pass all the laws in the world we want and still have anarchy. Uh, long soliloquy on a short story, but I think your short story, to borrow from Ronald Reagan, said a big thing. When we come back, let's talk a little economics, shall we? Please. Unless you have anything to argue with there. But I thought it was so apodictic, you probably wouldn't. I'm Seth Leaps, and he's Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Hugh Hallman is my guest. He is the former mayor of Tempe. He is an attorney in town. He is a civic and charitable activist and consultant and, uh, as I say, the best friend any guy or community could have. And he brought in, uh, as he always does, a lot of papers, stories we sometimes get to and sometimes don't. I have a feeling we're going to get to them. Take it away, Hugh, wherever you want to go. Well, single-handedly responsible, apparently, for global warming, according to you, because, or at least climate change. Um, When you can't prove global warming and then have that trouble, you just change the uh, phrasing. Right. Um, But I want to touch on your last segment for just a moment, because the crisis industrial complex, to put a fine ending point on this, is one of its results is not only to have us roiling uh, continuously and upset and angry and see our own sense of well-being decline, uh, evidenced by depression, suicide, drug addiction, all this good stuff. But it is also using that constant and continuous crisis to divide us and keep us angry at one another. And this is, I think, from your earlier, the point you made. It is that welcome home is not just that you're glad to be here and you feel pride in being here and feel welcomed, but that you have a feeling toward the other people who are here. And that certainly was added to when I am watching Border Patrol officers and all of these um, uh, other people coming in and the change in their attitude. And that was what's instructive, that feeling that feeling will help us treat one another better And then we will, as a result, perhaps together feel less demoralized and feel less less distressed and upset. Because who lives in your home? Your family. That's correct. And that that would be the finish I'd like to put on that. But Larry Elder, I think, demonstrated in the piece you sent me to an eloquence and generosity and kindness toward those he was arguing with that was as important. And that makes the point. That um, as he is describing that Hillary and President Carter and others decried the results of the 2016 election as illegitimate and attacked them in every possible way they could. And then that Donald Trump did the same thing in 2020 for both groups, he said, as was their right. This is how the process works. And you're allowed to take every legal action you can to seek the outcome you thought was to occur. And that to have one or the other pretend that that isn't the truth is also setting us against one another. And it was his eloquence and generosity toward the opposition that we need to remind ourselves of, that the concept of the loyal opposition is probably applies to 90% of us. There are not that many on the other side who are so crazed about what they're doing that we can perhaps legitimately 
worry about whether they fit into the evil camp versus the good camp. And that is still an important moral distinction that we need to make. And let's not uh, point to a difference in uh, difference of opinion as difference in principle. And it's at the base level of it. Most of us, even if we disagree on policy objectives, still believe in the fundamental important pieces that create these United States. With that, before you no, no, but before you do, huh, because you you were also taken, if I recall, by an offline conversation we had about the Larry Elder uh, interview or debate, whatever you want to call it. You were also taken by what he said about losing an election yeah. and accepting that as well. Yeah, that was very impressive. It was so he's, on abortion. It is. He's yeah. pro-life, very clearly pro-life, and was being roundly attacked for that position. And he explained, look, I am absolutely pro-life. I live in California, he says, and I lost. I fought as hard as I could to achieve the policy objective I believe is correct. But I accept the outcome of those elections and that I am on in the minority with respect to this view and that Americans now have very different views. But he was able, and I think correctly so, to come back to the point that when you really tease it apart, most Americans are abhorred by the idea of late-term abortions and most Americans are accepting of abortion within the first 15 weeks or so and that the fighting going on in the middle is where the the big discussion is. But his point was to be gracious about the fact that he lost and accepts the results of those losses uh, and carries on without attacking those who beat him. And that was an important piece. It's something we have to accept that that first rule of politics, serving Crystal like to remind people of, there are other, people's, other people that may disagree with you. And because we hold to an opinion that may be very strongly held, it doesn't mean everyone else does. And the entire uh, derivative of the notion in our founding that all men are created equal is that we submit ourselves to elections to be governed and govern. And sometimes we're the governors and sometimes we're the governed. And sometimes we'll win elections and sometimes we'll lose those elections. But that's how we do it here, through ballots, not bullets, right? And that while he was – I mean he said, yeah, you fight as legally as you possibly can for your point. And they had that right and we have that right. The problem becomes when there's a systematic assumption that one side is totally right and one side is totally wrong. And one side has the right to fight and one side doesn't have the right to fight those legal battles. His point that you liked so much was that – Stacey Abrams won indicted. That's exactly right. That. that is correct. Yeah. And that's that's where uh, Larry's point and many points going on these days is when you watch the systems of government be twisted in order to achieve somebody's objective, it is the very moment of the danger. And that is what we are facing now is when government can be used and twisted to achieve a particular a political orthodoxy. Uh, per, yeah. Correct. Right. And that uh, I, I think your uh, caller a couple of days ago talked about the fact that there are now two camps and those who are entitled to their opinions and those who are not. Right. And that's where we're starting to have real challenges. And when you destroy the basis of the discussion, you can't then achieve great things. 
and you might lose the great things you've got. And this was fundamentally going back to our little problem with ASU's Mm -hmm. Honors College when you had a legislator talking about what is hate speech, and she says hate speech is what she defines it as. Mm -hmm. And if she disagrees with your speech, that's hate speech, and you're not allowed to say it anymore. So she gets to define uh, what is uh, not allowed. And that's, of course, not how the system works. We have a Supreme Court that has helped us define that point. And so we didn't quite get to the... Well, we can do it. Uh, you want to lay the groundwork on the it. next side? Well, I'll tease it right now, and okay. that is looking at the headlines this last week, I think I'm realizing why we are suffering from inflation at the same time we have a weak economy. And it goes to your monologue that we have degraded the ethic of our society in such a way that Americans are not behaving the way they did a generation ago, and they're causing themselves significant problems. We'll have a couple minutes to say something more on that. We'll lay groundwork for uh, our visit next week as well when we come right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show as we uh, hit our final uh, moment of the show today. Hugh Holman has been my guest. You were talking about the way Americans behave and the way we're, oh, I don't know, shall we say keeping our house together. With your monologue in the first hour, really talks about the degradation of our society and our loss of tolerance for what's been going on and many people giving in. And I'm looking at the headlines. I've seen uh, in the last week this combination of mortgage interest rates continuing to soar because the Fed is trying to put the, the brakes on inflation. And by increasing the Fed rate, the result is that um, the cost of money goes up and, and inflation eats into your interest rates for buying houses and anything else you do. So uh, just a few days ago, the uh, 30-year mortgage averaged uh, 7.09%, and just as of today, it's 7.71%. I mean, it, it, it is quite high relative to the experience we've had in the last decade, where just five years ago, we were looking at under 3% uh, interest rates. What I found interesting was the news coverage about a little not very well reported fact that people are burning through their savings very quickly. Well, what savings is that? It's the savings they got when the federal government poured out trillions of dollars into people's wallets. And many people took their pandemic money and stuffed it into their mattresses and into their bank accounts. And they're burning through that, and it's almost gone. And I went, there it is. How stupid are we? Inflation is being driven by the continuous expenditure of all this extra cash that got dumped into the society by both President Trump and, more inexplicable, Joe Biden after the economy had recovered. And now people are continuing to spend that money without the associated productivity increases that would make up for it. Because what is inflation? When there's more and more money being printed, chasing the same amount of goods. And the Fed's been having a hard time figuring out, well, why is there inflation? And that strikes me as the problem, that people are still spending against their credit cards and spending down their pandemic money. It was free, free money to begin with. And we're going to get ourselves in an even worse condition here. I do believe that there is a, a recession that is occurring that is being masked by the fact that people have this cash built up in credit cards and in their bank accounts that they're spending. And this is a dangerous place for us to be. And when we've created a degraded society in which people don't want to work for their money to keep themselves alive, and they're now spending the free money they got, 
in another few months, we're going to be in a world of hurt with a whole bunch of folks who no longer have the free money and will expect you and me to give them more of it because they don't want to go back to work to earn it. So that's a problem. Yeah, it's almost as if, as if the left wanted to make the emergency the natural condition. And I think we have to be on guard against that because it is not the natural condition. And uh, people are going to find that out the hard way unless they reelect the left to keep us in a constant state of emergency, which is not a healthy state for us to be in. With that, Hugh Hallman, I will bid you adieu. Folks, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. David Dahl, thank you for everything. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson on behalf of Hugh and Young David. God bless you all, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.